Dear friends, the one thing that Aragorn, King Arthur and Mufasa share in common with Abraham Lincoln, Nelson Mandela and Jesus Christ is their worldwide acceptance as quality men, figures that exemplify masculine virtue at its best. There's not a few commentators, however, both Christian and secular, that have identified a real crisis in masculinity today. Some would even say it's a void in masculinity. Where are the Aragorns and King Arthurs and Mufasas in our families, in our churches and in our politics? What seems to be the norm instead is a population of either nice but harmless men on one extreme, or angry and emotionally unstable ones on the other, unable to commit their strength for the defence or fighting of anything, save for video games, sports and anonymous online trolling. How did we come to this and how did we recover the masculine genius in our culture? As I've hinted at in previous episodes, there is a final depository of truth regarding the beauty of the gender roles, and that is through the great myths of the world. Those timeless stories that hold for us the wisdom that we have long been deprived of. The 1984 movie Karate Kid certainly conforms to these classical myths, and despite its seemingly trivial subject matter, the deep satisfaction we feel when watching it reveals how much it works as a lost tale about male initiation. I'm going to suggest that the film touches on a number of important stages in the masculine journey, namely the stages of warrior, king and sage. What are these and why are like so many of our stories filled with these three archetypal figures? That's what this episode is about. A brief note, depending on whether you're reading Carl Jung or Joseph Campbell or John Eldridge, there are other developmental stages for men other than warrior, king and sage, such as the lover and the magician. But for brevity and for maximum focus for The Karate Kid, I'm only going to explore these three today. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. The story's main character is 17-year-old Daniel LaRusso, who has recently moved from New Jersey to California with his single mother. Starting at a new school, things are going pretty good initially, and he even meets the girl of his dreams, Ali, at a beach party. Unfortunately, Ali's ex is Johnny, a black belt karate kid student at the local Cobra Kai dojo. At the beach party, Johnny and his goons stir things up for Ali, and when Daniel comes to their aid, they rough him up instead. This happens a few times over the next few days until one night, Daniel is rescued by the old eccentric Japanese guy on his block, Mr. Miyagi, a man from Okinawa. As it turns out, even though he was a maintenance man by day, Mr. Miyagi was quite the karate master, and soon as he patches up Daniel from the fight, they become friends. As they try and sort through how best to cease the violent attacks on him, they decide to go together to the Cobra Kai Dojo to speak with the ruthless No Mercy Sensei to strike up an agreement. He agrees that his boys would leave Daniel alone on the condition that they would fight proper at the state karate tournament in a few months time. 
to Daniel's horror, Mr. Miyagi agrees, and Daniel starts fretting now how he could ever beat these elite karate students in a tournament. But Mr. Miyagi makes a solemn, ritualized vow to be Daniel's sensei, his master, if he, Daniel, will obey his master without question. Daniel agrees, but Mr. Miyagi's karate teaching methods are unorthodox to say the least. He begins by teaching Daniel how to wax cars and sand floors, paint fences and paint the house, with each repetitive technique taking up to an entire day to learn. By the fourth day, Daniel is exhausted and frustrated because he had been slaving away at Miyagi's home without learning any karate. But just when he was about to throw in the towel and leave, Miyagi yells, Daniel-san, and then finally reveals to him why he had to learn all these repetitive manual techniques. In the now most famous scene in The Karate Kid, it is revealed that he was training Daniel's muscle memory on the core defensive moves of karate. In a sudden flurry attacks coming from Miyagi, Daniel was able to automatically defend himself. Daniel walks away humbled, and then the next days, the training continues, learning to find his balance battered by waves at the sea, on a rocking boat and standing on one leg, with the latter being learnt from Mr. Miyagi's own example of the crane technique, which is a super kick that begins on one leg. All this time, Daniel's relationship with Ali deepens. He grows in self-mastery, and he is led through initiation from boyhood into manhood. It is in fact Johnny, the alpha male, that seems to demonstrate his immaturity. Daniel also finds himself being the son that Miyagi never had, which in turn empowers Miyagi with a purpose he didn't know he could ever have outside of nurturing bonsai plants. Eventually, we get to the final state karate tournament. Naturally, both Daniel and Johnny make the final finals. There is much foul play with the Cobra Kai boys deliberately injuring and weakening Daniel. But Daniel, even with only one leg left to stand on, performs the crane kick on Johnny and wins the tournament. There is much celebration from family, friend and foe, as Johnny hands the tournament trophy to Daniel as a sign of respect. The movie ends with Mr. Miyagi smiling proudly at Daniel as any proud father would. Okay, so there's the story in summary. The first character I want to explore in our episode is actually Mr. Miyagi, who if you know anything about Karate Kid has become something of a cultural icon for being the wise old man, the mentor we secretly yearn for. Despite his kookiness, lack of fashion sense and strange social etiquette, it is very clear that we think this old man is one of the coolest characters around, right up there with a Yoda or a Morpheus. And it isn't just that he's a cool father figure to the fatherless Daniel, he is certainly that, but he also embodies something of a forgotten role in our society, the sage. How many wise old men do you know and can truly trust? Yet if any of us are familiar with the great myths and legends, we may recall that the healthy masculine journey progresses through various stages of growth, culminating in the final wisdom figure, the sage. But what do these terms mean? Well, the youthful warrior is the idealistic conqueror, the young man who builds himself up, upskills, finds a cause and fights for it. Like young sports stars, athletes and actors, there is much ego in this stage and that's kind of normal. The king stage is where this idealism and ego becomes tempered and matured, and he realises life is not just about building himself up, but rather his strength was given to serve, lead and empower others. This role is typically of course expressed as being a father and husband. 
Then lastly, the king stage gives way and evolves into the sage stage. <laughs> sage stage. The man who no longer is dominated by idealism or pressing responsibility, but now gives his life totally and freely as a wisdom figure, nurturing the next generation of men into maturity. He is a serene man of few words, filled with empathy and non-judgmentalism, with a certain detachment from the rat race of the world. His treasure is wisdom, something that can literally only be acquired through life experience and not from books. In short, the image of a sage is someone like Mr. Miyagi. I often ask young men what it would have been like if Mr. Miyagi was part of your life during the crucial developmental years. And the question normally catches people by surprise, taking them into a deep space. For only then do our teenage selves feel the absence of such a figure. Instead, we as men are told to find our own way and to create ourselves rather than to have someone guide and inspire us. Instead of a generation of sages that inspire us, we have cranky old men, often sapped by retirement blues, living most days around the country club, travelling or tucked away into nursing homes. Or you have old men who are bitter kings, trying to hang on to their power and refusing to become sages and to pass that power on. This disorderedness is demonstrated in the latest Indiana Jones movie, with 80-year-old Harrison Ford still trying to play the role of warrior and king, even though he should be offering his strength to raise up the next generation of archaeologists. Compare this film to, say, Top Gun Maverick, released in the same year, where Tom Cruise now returns from once being warrior and king to now being sage, mentoring and handing on his wisdom to the next generation of young pilots. This was a truly satisfying film, a breath of fresh air, and no wonder why all the critics unanimously said they just don't make films like this anymore. This nurturing aspect of the masculine journey is bedrock critical for any civilization or religion to flourish. I love that the first real encounter Daniel has with Mr. Miyagi was when he was lovingly tending to his bonsai trees, and even shows Daniel how to do it himself. It's a poetic way for the directors to speak about this nurturing, life-giving dimension of masculinity. The fact that the first lesson Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel is to get in touch with his inner self greatly complements the otherwise outwardly focused energy of a warrior boy. Speaking of trees, I once heard the role of the sage beautifully described to me in terms of the black acacia tree, an Australian native. When it is young, like all trees, the black acacia sends down its roots and draws nutrients up from deep down in the soil, drawing it up the trunk into the branches and out into the leaves. It continues this until it reaches a certain stage of maturity, from which point something unusual happens. All the nutrients gets redirected back from the branches back down into the trunk and into the roots, which suddenly fan out and thicken and split across a wide surface area underground. It does this to nurture the soil for the next generation of black acacia trees, which all then spring forth from the now very rich soil surrounding the parent tree. Having given all its strength, in time the parent tree dies, but all around it pops up young acacia trees. And I'm told that in the wild, you'll never find a random lone acacia tree in the bush, because it's always surrounding a once parent tree. Amazing, right? Such an apt image of the role of the sage later in life, whose very life energy is given not to keep building and hanging on to power like a king, but to return it and generate life back into the world. 
If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. Having now established the important role of the sage, we turn our attention back to the younger warrior in the story, Daniel-san, who is of course our main character. What is his journey? What makes the film beautiful is that the story is really about the transition of Daniel from being a warrior into a king, a process that is typically called initiation. The warrior is in many ways the default setting of healthy boyhood, adventurous, assertive, physical, outwardly focused, not much brains yet, and more brute. It's the instinct of warrior that inspired me as a little fellow to get just as excited about making Lego buildings as it was about catapulting toy cars into it and destroying them, to run around with a Robin Hood bow and arrow and shoot my sister, and to draw heaps of drawings about tornadoes wrecking towns. From a Catholic theological perspective, masculine strength is a wonderful thing, given to protect, provide and fight for that which is most beautiful and sacred. It is strength given to build others up. That is masculine strength at its best. However, masculine strength at its worst is when it instead inverts and is used to take others down. Physical aggression, reckless driving, the abuse of women, absent fathers, and online trolling are an example of masculine strength gone wrong today. Or threats and fear-mongering as exemplified in The Karate Kid by Johnny and the Cobra Kai Dojo, who would sooner take someone out than try and understand them. While in the eyes of the world, Johnny is the alpha male and Daniel is a little rabbit under him, what the film does very well is to show that by the end, it is Johnny who is still the little boy, while Daniel has become the man. And the difference between Johnny and Daniel's status is not brute strength or even ability, but rather initiation. Initiation, sometimes called the rite of passage, is a process whereby a boy is initiated by an older male, usually a father figure, out of boyhood and into the domain of manhood. In more archetypal terms, initiation is the process whereby a boy is mentored out of the warrior stage of his life and into the king stage of his life. Our ancient forefathers knew that boys didn't just automatically become men by growing older in years, as evidenced by the increasing population of grown men today who still act, reason and exhibit the emotional maturity of boys. For females, this parallel initiation process from girl into woman is actually a lot more natural, taking place at puberty when her very body tells her, your femininity is a gift for nurturing others now to nourish life for others. Whereas for men, this other-centered shift is not so obvious. And hence, boys need much more intentional and ritualized processes, not just, oh, you're 13, you can go to high school, or, oh, you're 18, you can get a driver's license and get drunk, which is probably the closest thing we have to initiation in the West. This is why ancient cultures had their adolescent males undertake rituals like the Jewish Bar Mitzvah, or the Aboriginal ritual of walkabout, or the American Indian ritual of the vision quest. The challenging dimension of initiation is absolutely crucial, but all around the world, the initiation process was pretty much the same. It involved firstly, the separation of the boy from the safe and protective realm of the mother, 
then being taken out into the wild somewhere foreign, then receiving instruction by the men of the community, then the boy is made to face his vulnerability, rise above it, and then finally returns to his community with strength to offer them. He returns in some way as a young king. Now, I don't know about the women listening to this episode, but when I as a man read about these initiation descriptions, it is rather stirring, for it is something every masculine soul yearns for, and to some degree is often lacking. Many of us are sort of like Daniel before he meets Mr. Miyagi, confused and unfocused. And yet, his story actually follows the above-mentioned initiation pattern. Everything from being taken out of the realm of his mother, taken somewhere foreign, i.e. Miyagi's Japanese home in the countryside, then receiving instruction, Daniel faces his vulnerability and then rises above it. This is the same pattern as many of our most famous male protagonists. It is Bruce Wayne and Azal Ghul, it is Luke and Yoda in Star Wars, and it is indeed Jesus and his Heavenly Father when Jesus was a 12-year-old adolescent, where he was drawn away from the realm of Mary his mother to receive instruction by the Father in the temple. In many ways, the most important lesson that a boy learns during his initiation is that his strength is for the service of others rather than himself. To the extent a man still uses his energy to dominate others and inflate his own ego is the degree the man is still uninitiated, still a boy. This is why it is possible to have CEOs and presidents who appear to all the world as kings but are still boys inside masquerading as kings. At the slightest provocation, these same men show up to be cowardly and without any grit to fight or defend anything. You will recall that in Karate Kid, one of the greatest lessons that Miyagi repeats to Daniel is that karate is not primarily about offense and domination, but rather defense and self-knowledge. The movie is littered with memorable quotes like, Karate is not just about fighting, it is about knowledge of self and life. Or, the best way to block a punch is to not be there. Or, there's no such thing as bad student, only bad teacher. And then when Daniel seems obsessed with finding out what colour karate belt Miyagi has achieved, Miyagi says, Karate is here, pointing to his head. Karate is here, pointing to his heart. And karate is never here, pointing to his belt. In other words, what he was teaching Daniel was that karate was not about building up one's ego, but about slowly eroding it away so that we could at last be vulnerable and teachable. And boy did Daniel have to face that vulnerability, not just in his foes but within himself. Nothing Mr Miyagi taught him initially made any sense, sanding the floor, waxing the car, etc. And even when it did, he then had to learn about balance and fear and that real strength was walking away from a fight, even if you could kill a foe. These are the lessons that can only be learned in the wilderness, but as Daniel began to master them, he began to master his true strength and offer it to those around him. His relationship with his mother improves, his partnering with Ali flourishes, his school is cleared of bullies, his love for Mr Miyagi deepens and of course by the end of the movie, he earns the respect of Johnny and his dojo buddies. Through initiation, this warrior had become a king.
As we draw near the end of this episode, keen listeners will notice that I haven't spent as much time dwelling on the explicitly Christian dimensions of male spirituality. But believe me, there is much teaching on this topic, both biblically and beyond. Much of what I have shared would only be like chapter 1 and chapter 2 of three Catholic Christian books I'm going to recommend to listeners if you want to learn more about the topic of male archetypes and initiation. These books are Healing the Masculine Soul by Gordon Dalby, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, and Adam's Return by Richard Rohr. I will leave a link to these books with their details in the show notes and on the Myth Pilgrim website. Do check them out and see which ones will speak most to your journey. Or if you are one of my dear sisters listening, perhaps one of these books will speak into the lives of a man you love. I'll leave that with you to discern. And on that note, dear pilgrims, I say goodbye. (laughs) Journey forth, take care and God bless.